This is Shane with Radical Rocks. Today we've got a very exciting episode for you. For example, how about some Peruvian minerals? We're going to go over all kinds of Peruvian minerals uh, and rocks, lapidary. There's some really nice opal coming out of there. There's some great chrysocolla and some other minerals. We're going to talk about all that. We're going to go into why is the ocean salty? Talk about that for a couple minutes. Also, another fabulous diamond was found here in the U.S., also, a new mineral was discovered that is on the moon. Also, some great fossil news, some interesting discoveries, one in the petrified forest, and also one that actually lets us know that the Himalayans were once in the sea. So all that and more, guys, but I want to thank you for supporting the show. Um, membership's been going up a little bit. Uh, I'd like to see it go up more, but uh, everything is everything is appreciated. The shares, the likes, the comments, uh, all of that is much appreciated on the podcast, on the Facebook, on the YouTube, and the other social media, MeWe, and um, even our blog at RadicalRocksUSA.blogspot.com. And uh, check them all out because it benefits you. It's a lot of great information. And a lot of fun, and we appreciate your support. All right, so let's get right into it. Um, one of the first things we're going to talk about is this new fossil that's been found in the petrified forest. It is some 220 million years old, they say. Uh, I don't know who was around that can really guarantee that, but they try dating that with different techniques that sometimes are uh, accurate and sometimes not so accurate. This is on the Arizona Republic was published November 4th by Shana Mortanier, and you can find that at www.azcentral.com. And the petrified forest, you know, it is a phenomenon uh, in uh, Arizona of these petrified trees. You cannot collect there or anything. They're preserved for future generations. There are areas around nearby where you can collect, but They've been finding these fossils of animals over there. Very rare, hard-to-find fossils. This one is a small creature, a little mammal, they say, about the size of a hamster. And um, this Ph.D. Uh, discovered it. He saw a little tiny jawbone, less than an inch long, in the area of the park known as Blue Mesa. So they started examining this. They looked at the teeth and... Uh, we're checking it all out, and they have a description of it here. It looks like a carnivorous uh, kind of, uh, hmm, I guess it, it kind of looks like a, like a fat meerkat, I guess. I don't know. And it's got these pretty sharp fangs at the front, and uh, the claws, it, they have it standing upright. I don't know if they really know that. It's about a chick, chipmunk-sized animal. It has fur. They believe it had fur. They're not 100% sure because they didn't, they, um, they're just looking at the jawbone and relating it to modern day animals. Um, they think it would have been about that size, but if it were related to, uh, it's not a rat or a chipmunk or a hamster. It's not, not a rodent because it says that it wouldn't have had an ear. So instead of an ear, there would likely be a hole in the skull. Uh, typical to modern reptiles. So they're not quite a mammal, but uh, they feel that it's uh, what makes a mammal is having an inner ear. So kind of neat. Um, they go into the article, what was the petrified forest like back, you know, 200 million years ago? And it was actually very tropical, very humid. It was a lush forest, um, like what we would see close to the equator. 
They found many ancient dinosaurs, lizards, amphibians, and things like that. And the strange thing about this is they're finding fossils that are kind of too small to really get preserved, I guess. But sometimes they get kind of pushed into poop. <laughs> and uh, this technique actually um, reveals fossils from fish, sharks, frogs, and other things in this um, locality. So it's a conglomerate of fossilized poop where these animals just happen to die in this, uh, you know, what we call poop coprolite. And um, that's what they look for now. They look for poop-shaped objects that are dribbling out of the hill because this could be f associated with some small fossils. So they're getting more and more information on the diversity of these fossils in the area. Now, why did I say the Himalayans rose from the sea? Um, am I quoting Genesis, uh, the book of Genesis and the flood account? Well, I guess I could be, but what it is here is more fossil news. They have found these palm fronds um, and other fossils um, here in the area that uh, and other things that prove that the Himalayans were once very far below the, uh, the sea, which, of course, they, they're huge now. They found some four-foot-long palm leaf fossils. These fossils are um, uh, show that clearly once uh, the Himalayans were below sea level, and there's other fossils that were found in the area that are identifying it to um, um, a coastal, a near-coastal uh, environment is what they're saying. Okay, You can read more about the article, www.tribuneindia.com. Um, it was written on November the 4th, and it's called Discovery of Palm Fossils Prove Himalayans Raised from the Sea, and uh, November 6th. I don't see any other credits there. How about a five-eyed shrimp? Yes, uh, in China at www.scmp.com, you can look at the South China Morning Post. It's there in English as well. And you will see that they discovered a five-eyed shrimp. This shrimp is very bizarre. They're uh, referring to it as some sort of a um, evolutionary, filling an evolutionary gap between um, uh, shrimp and um, uh, the other form of, uh, what are they called, arthropods or whatever, the little, like, like uh, there it is, uh, arthropods as a form of a missing link from them. And uh, you can read all about that if you want. They had a row of three eyes on the top and then two at the back of their head. So uh, is this a mutation? Is it another variety? Uh, who knows? They said it lived some 500 million years ago. Interesting find, no matter what you think about that. Now, why are the oceans salty? This sounds like a question that, uh, you know, a three-year-old or a four-year-old would ask. Here's a great article here on uh, www.mentalfloss.com, and um, it's just simply entitled, Why Are the Oceans Salty? by Michelle Debchazak on November the 5th. And it goes into some interesting details. If you want to read the whole article, you can. I'll give you some tips of it. But, you know, the saltiness of the ocean is not just that, you know, there's been salt water down there all the time, but these, these these salts are coming from different positively and negatively charged ions from different groups. So when an atom, an atom contains more protons than electrons, it becomes positively charged. And when the atoms with more electrons and protons, their negative ions, 
then they attract one each other and form chemical compounds. So sodium chloride, which is usually positive, and um, ion, um, which also can be negative, chloride being the negative one, sodium chloride, ion being the positive one, they get together and form this salt. But that's not all that's in there. There's magnesium, there's calcium, there's all sorts of minerals that fall under the salts um, categories, and they are coming from the ocean, right? Uh, I mean, from the mountains and the ground and the animals and things like that. So it says 85% of the ocean's ions uh, no, that's not what I wanted to read you. But one other interesting thing, the water, you would think, okay, the ocean is salty. We know that, right? No matter where you are, the ocean is salty. But it actually varies quite widely in the content of its saltiness. So at the equator, um, it's diluted because you have all kinds of rain happening out there. And that's actually enough to lower the salt content. In the meridian, the sea is more salty. So very interesting facts about this salt. Um, it's always staying very stable. Also down at the bottom where the um, different things are happening like volcanoes uh, and also the chimneys, the smokers that are down in the oceans spewing out this water that's uh, sometimes like a thousand degrees, you know, and greater and all these salts and things are coming out. So the ocean is able to maintain its saltiness very regular, um, even though there's some slight variations in different oceans and um, along the equator and such. All right, next article. This one is a human interest one. It's kind of sad. Uh, www.nambia.com.na, and it says, Precious Childhood Lost Selling Stones. Um, really sad. Um, here... This 11-year-old girl is the breadwinner and uh, for her family, and she does it selling stones, selling rocks and gems. And uh, every morning she wakes up. I think this is in, uh, in uh, Nambia. I believe it was Nambia. Yeah, in Nambia. Um, selling these stones, trying to buy food, you know. And the story is really sad if you read it. I'm not going to go into it too much, but uh, she, the family actually relies on these sales to buy a little bit of soup to be able to have some soup to eat and one day she doesn't sell any and they go hungry and uh, she's selling black tourmaline topaz amazonite and quartz and also necklaces and uh, polished stones and in this process they these students these girls like her and children like her they don't uh, they miss school for months and months and the uh, one her dad is out gemstone mining for months you know, he, he, who knows if he'll make it back alive? You know, it's dangerous out there. So uh, some of these rocks um, may make their way to us. I don't know. But uh, certainly certainly something to think about. Um, Nambia says they understand the National Planning Commission. They're undergoing reassessing the condition at the schools. So hopefully something happens to benefit them. Now there was a great – here's some good news. Let's get to the good news. Um a man uh, is rock hounding, and he finds a beautiful, beautiful diamond. It's at the WashingtonNewsDay.com. You would do the HTTPS semicolon backslash backslash WashingtonNewsDay.com. The article um, is entitled, A Man from Arkansas Has Unearthed a 4.49 Carat Gemstone in the Diamond Crater. It was written by Jonathan Edwards on November 5th. So this is a brand new discovery, uh, third largest diamond found in the park this year. Stephen McCool 
of Ferrietteville said that, uh, hey, I'm just going down there to have some fun. Next thing you know, he sees something looks like amber piece of glass, maybe a piece of Coke bottle. But then he knew it was a diamond. He's like, oh, you got to be kidding me. And you see it, and you can just tell, this thing is fabulous. It really is. You know you picked something up when you picked this one up. It doesn't just look like glass um, once you've got it in your hand and all cleaned off. So, uh, yeah, this is going to be worth some money, and uh, maybe he'll sell it. Um, Maybe he'll keep it. I don't know. But uh, good news from the Crater of the Diamonds National Park, where you can mine for diamonds as well. How about a new mineral discovered on the moon? Uh, Yep, they have looked through these rocks uh, from Apollo missions, and they are finding out here that there is a new mineral. Uh, Actually, Europeans discovered it. New mineral discovered in moon meteorite, www.sciencedaily.com. It's November 3rd. And uh, and uh, there's a source, but no, nobody's getting the credit. But what they found here is this mineral. They're naming it after the guy that found it. I won't take you through the whole um, the whole explanation. It's pretty interesting, though. But due to the intense pressure and heat of this thing slamming up against the moon, um, it has uh, created a, a a new mineral in this process that they found the crystal structure of the tiny thousand part of a millimeter thick mineral crystal with highly accuracy has been discovered named after geologist Don E. Wellhelms, an American science involved in the landing site selection and data and so forth and so on um, brought the rocks back I guess. Okay, very interesting. So um, where's the name of it? It has like his name in it, the guy that found it. Let's see if I can find it here. I was going to read through this whole article. It says it's mainly composed of calcium, aluminum, silicon, and oxygen atoms. Okay, here it is. Don Wilmsite. Don Wilmsite. So it has his name in it. Don Wilhelm and then Site. Pretty cool. All right. Um, now, uh, the Midland Gym and Mineral Society Outdoor Market. Give a little plug to them. Came across this uh, uh, little article here. I believe this is in uh, Texas, Midland Gym and Mineral Society Outdoor Market on November 7th. And um, you can go to www.midlandtxchamber.com and the event will show up there. And um, you can go there and see their fossils, minerals. There's no cost to enter, social distancing, all that uh, stuff that we have uh, kind of had to deal with. All right, now for our keynote address. And let me tell you why I wanted to talk about Peruvian rocks and minerals. So I met a guy today, um, and he was out by the beach, and he was stuck here. He was supposed to go home uh, a while ago, but because of COVID, I guess it's delayed his flight back to Peru, where he has a couple mines, maybe two or three mines, actually. Um, He has opal mines. And he has, or opal mine, and a chrysocolla mine or contact. And then he has a gold mine, which he's not able to mine right now because they have issues over there. But he had displayed lots of minerals, some pyrite samples, other interesting minerals. And uh, I thought, wow, you know, these are really cool. This blue opal is really pretty. Um, I really like it. Of course, I had to buy some. And um, I think I'll do I'll do something on it tonight. So... I looked up uh, oakrocks.net 
There is a section on Peru rocks and minerals um, that is there that you can look at, and they talk about and have a few pictures of some of the minerals. Um, but pyrite is very prominent there. Um, I don't know how to read all these names of the cities, but you can look this up. Rhodochrosite is there um, found as well. Amnesite, um, uh, oregonite is found. He had some wonderful oregonite samples too. Chalcedony, sodalite, blue oregonite, green agate, obsidian, dumerite, Inca jade, and more. Um, also, some discoveries have been found in uh, there's a large, the world's largest cemetery of marine fossils. Uh, many poking out of white sand. Discoveries include fossilized teeth from the 50-foot shark called the Megalodon. Man, I'd sure like to go get those. Huge penguin uh, with colorful feathers and fossils. The Leviathan, a whale with teeth longer than Tyrannosaurus rex. Uh, contender for the largest predator to ever prowl the oceans. And um, actually, people who want to search, it says here, it's open to just about anyone who wants to search for fossils. Although Peruvian law, while vague, classifies fossils as nat uh, national, um, I guess, belongings and requires fossil found in the country to remain in Peru unless special permission is granted. So you could dig them, but you'd have to give them back. Um, so you can check that out. Um, but what I was looking at was the opal. And come to find out, Peruvian opal is the national stone of Peru. Let me get a drink of coffee here real quick. It is uh, not only the national stone, it's rare. It can only be found in the Andes Mountains. It has an internal crystalline composition is random, so um, it doesn't have a real color play of fire um, like usual opal. Uh, Peruvian opal is a sedimentary rock formed at low temperatures. It is uh, a form of igneous rock with high silicon content and basically composed of oxygen, silicon, and hydrogen. But it is dark. Some of it is very dark. Some of it's very light, too. Some of it's very translucent, too. So I would think the darker colors would be more desired and, and uh, more sought after. So that was what I was looking at. By the way, this information here is coming from opalauctions.com under Peruvian opal information. You can look that up. There's a little blog post here that goes into Peruvian opal at some length. You can check that out. Now, remember, opal does have water in it, so getting it hot can make these things shatter. Um, they can lose their intensity. Um, if it's fire-type opal, you can lose the fire, or if you cut it at the wrong angle, you can lose it too. So, Now, another thing that's popular there, he I didn't see that he had any of this, but pink Peruvian opal... Um, it doesn't really look, I mean, it's pink and it's pretty, it's a real solid color, but um, to me, it's like it needs to have some pattern or something going on. It's just kind of boring, but it is pretty. Um, it is known as pink andaline, and, andaline, andine opal, andine, like the Andes, I guess. Um, there's angel skin opal, uh, andine opal, and um, it is a solidified paligorskite if you want to get technical. Um, sometimes pink opal specimens can be uh, stalactites coated with druzy chalcedony and sometimes um, a halonite opal pockets form and they can be crystal clear. So these Peruvian opal specials, uh, excuse me, opal specimens can be very beautiful, uh, large enough that you can actually make spheres out of them. Um, 
there's mixtures of uh, of pink, opal, and other impurities give it a beautiful appearance. So they don't have a picture of that here, but I would think pink with different shades of, of white to porcelain and things like that. Uh, it says it also can be chalk to chalcedony. So that chalk wouldn't be so good, but I guess if it's just a color and it's not chalky. So a lot of times this Peruvian opal is used for carvings. It takes a good polish. It's real pretty. Um, and pink opal is formed by bubbling water near volcanic ash that dissolves the silica and forms in nodules to form from the volcanic activity. So many of these specimens contain pink opal mixed with minerals such as rhyolite. So I guess rhyolite's where maybe it gets its color. There's other colors that are more desired. The blue. The blue uh, is described as the Caribbean Sea, the blue of the Caribbean Sea. Sometimes can be dark and sometimes has inclusions that look like ferns, dendrites. Also, um, there can be varieties in one single specimen or a specimen can be solid. Uh, pink can be from red pinks to pastels. The, they are very popular as beads when they're very solid. Um, also, it's good if you're just learning about cutting opal. Uh, you can buy some of the more common stuff at a better price, although I found it to be pretty pricey. Also, you want to have lots of water on the wheel when you're cutting it. So, again, the sources of this beautiful Peruvian opal is the Andes, uh, Andes Mountains of Peru. And um, these are con considered a god, a gift of a goddess of, of uh, fruitfulness and Mother Earth, according to uh, their beliefs, old beliefs. Um, it goes into the holistic part of it, um, helping with tension. I guess everybody could use that, right? <laughs> and they have some pictures here. Now, also what I saw, which really caught my eye as well, was some chrysocolla. Um, beautiful chrysocolla. He had some in a uh, red uh, matrix and uh, some that was very, very blue. Some that was slightly jimmy, um, slightly gym silica type um, there. Uh, the piece I got was not especially Jimmy, but it was very pretty. And um, the chrysocolla predominantly comes from Peru's famous lily mine, but there's all sorts of different patterns. There was a lot of copper mining done in Peru, but with the prices of copper having gone down, and also they sold a lot of that stuff to the Chinese, but it looks like um, there are other miners around the area. And this chrysocolla from Peru, Peruvian chrysocolla. It is beautiful. Blues and greens. Um, it can be opaque. It can display a variety of colors and designs because of the oxidation of copper, iron, and manganese. So, um, you know, every one is different, unique. Often, uh, sometimes chrysocolla, when it's really blue like this, can be confused with turquoise because of the color. But, uh, you know, it de the color of chrysocolla is what determines its value. The more brightly and the better the designs, the higher the quality, all those things make the value go up. Chrysocolla is usually cut into capuchons um, and polished but not faceted. Um, but I guess you could, you know, facet a jimmy piece if you wanted to. And that's about it. Um, a little bit more information. Uh, you can go to a site, jimadventure.com and uh, look up uh, Peruvian chrysocolla and uh, they say there that it is a hydrated copper sulfite uh, they talk about 
how it is found mixed with azurite, malachite, opal, and turquoise. And um, they talk about the history of, of it. They talk about the rarity of it and uh, that in Peru, Russia, and the U.S. are the most notable places where beautiful chrysocolla is found. And, of course, in the U.S. we have Arizona, New Mexico, and Utah. So the Lily Mine, which is a famous mine in the area where the best Peruvian chrysocolla is found, uh, and also east of uh, Pisco, Yume, and uh, that was discovered in the early 90s, or opened in the early 90s and was producing. And um, now I don't think it's, I think it's just little, you know, prospectors and miners that are producing it right now. Uh, the hardness of this Peruvian chrysocolla is extremely hard, 6.5 to 7 uh, for the very jimmy stuff. I'm sure some of it's softer. And uh, if you clean it, you should just use soap and water and, uh, a, you know, a soft brush and dry dry it. And they have some beautiful cabochons there too as well if you want to look at the pictures with black and they have some jimmy uh, with just the malachi and the blue chrysocolla color. So anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. I want to thank you for tuning in and remember rock hounds don't die, they petrify.